I'm black, you're white. Now what? What if I say the wrong thing? You probably will. Who doesn't? But I'll do my best to listen. Maybe if we're humble enough to listen to each other. Maybe if we're brave enough to lean into those difficult conversations. We might. We could. Come up with some answers. Make some real progress. Discover how much we have in common. And appreciate our differences. Now you're talking. I am David Conley, a communication consultant. And I'm Chris Thurber, clinical psychologist. Welcome to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? Today, we're talking about the show, the series, this whole idea and having difficult conversations, which is something that gets mentioned, but we actually want to give people examples, tools, and action steps to move forward. This is such a difficult time in our country right now and such a huge opportunity. So David, I feel like it's a blessing that we know each other and that you came up with this idea. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think that's a wonderful thing to have people in your life that you can, uh, you know, have conversations with where you can say, hey, listen, I want to learn about uh, a different perspective and, you know, increase my uh, cultural IQ and and have them perhaps learn from you. And I think a lot of times if we can do that and find some common ground, a lot of these uh, issues might be at least closer to being resolved or at least understood. So I think this is a, a great, you know, effort toward that. And so I appreciate you and, uh, you know, your, all that you bring to it. So thank you very much. Well, yeah, I, I'll tell you what's hard. And just to state the obvious, if mm -hmm. folks are watching this as a webinar, if they're listening to it as a podcast, you discern from the introduction that, I'm white and David is black. And now I've said it again. The hard part for me as a white person is to set up a conversation that's not with another white person. In other words, mm -hmm. I can talk with my white friends about what they think about Black Lives Matter as a mm -hmm. movement. And somehow it feels a little more stable or a little safer because I'm mm -hmm. less worried about saying the wrong thing. But mm -hmm. as long as I'm just talking about Black Lives Matter with my white friends and my white colleagues, I don't think I'm getting very far. Right, right. I mean, some of the understanding, uh, you know, may be limited in which case, uh, and, and, and that, that viewpoint, considering or assuming that you all would have uh, much the same viewpoint on on that particular topic, you know, it could make that could narrow, you know, the the general understanding of everybody. Let me ask you just while we're talking about why 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 do you think that it's difficult for you to have that conversation with with a black person? Well, I think that the the thing that I hear a lot of white people say is, well, Chris, sure, black lives matter, but like all lives matter. So I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not getting it. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if I, if I say I, I support black lives matter, mm -hmm. then am I somehow saying that other lives don't or, or mm -hmm. doing a little bit of a disservice or something? And I guess um, the way that I've responded to my white friends who have expressed that concern is that I don't think black lives matter 
has a subtext other lives don't. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think that some people believe that or feel threatened by that. And it's sort of like why I would, in my writing, capitalize black. Like David is my black friend, mm -hmm. Sam is my white friend, but I would have a lowercase w for white mm -hmm. because I feel like black is, in my eyes, as a white person, not just a color when we're referring to a group of people, but mm -hmm. uh, an identity. And I don't know that white people consider white to be their identity. So I, mm -hmm. I'm sure that some do. I, I don't. Mm -hmm. So it's why I give it a lowercase w. But when I give it a lowercase w, I don't feel that I'm diminishing myself or uh, saying that I matter less. But there's been such an awful history in this country of, you know, beginning with slavery, mm -hmm. this violent discrimination and, and subjugation of a whole group of people that saying this group matters is exactly what needs to be said. Mm -hmm. So, I, I, again, it's a conversation that... Um, probably makes a lot of white people uncomfortable, but extra uncomfortable if they were to have that conversation with a black colleague or friend. So uh, what's, what's your take on Black Lives Matter and whether there is any subtext? Uh, there's absolutely subtext. Um, and, and some of it you touched on. I think they, the... What's not understood oftentimes, uh, let me go back. I think there's a lot of different subtexts. Black Lives Matter is even being stated because historically, particularly when you're talking about, um, you know, police brutality and things like that and, mm -hmm. and the violent uh, subjugation of people, that has only happened and been okay uh, historically because either overtly or covertly black lives did not matter it not it, at least not as much as white lives and so you were sanctioned in treating black people a certain way because you had that thought in the back of your mind because that was promoted you know um, for the sake of slavery, then Jim Crow, after then, you know, and even today, a lot of people will think, well, man, it's that that's an era past because, you know, yeah. for no other reason, because we had President Obama in the White House, so it's all good. But it, you know, for black people, it doesn't seem that way. We don't have that same uh, reality. And so there is a need to say and let you know hey, Black Lives Matter. And the, and what's interesting is the fact that, that people say, white people tend to say, well, all lives matter, as if to say, well, it's obvious then that Black Lives Matter. It should be very obvious, but the, the reality for a lot of black people is that it's not as obvious as the rhetoric should suggest, which is just yeah, yeah. so... What I'm living is not what you're saying. 
Do you know what I mean? And so, um, but the other thing is to not say that it matters more or it matters and other lives, particularly white, white lives, don't matter. It's to say, hey, our lives matter and we want the same equal treatment that's promised, you know, with with regard to the things set forth in this country by the founding fathers, etc., that we don't really, you know, get and don't don't have. So there's that. But the other uh, subtext, and and this is something I'm I'm kind of putting out there and asking you to think about too, um, as a white man, is that historically when you talk about that subjugation of a group of people white lives mattering has meant other people's lives did not so i think when you hear black lives matter the fear is that you know you're automatically saying well if this means this then this means that meaning if i if they're saying black lives matter what they're saying then is that white lives or other lives don't. So I got to make sure I say that all lives matter so that we're clear that everybody's in to say, well, yeah, well, we've been saying all lives matter for, you know, generations. But yeah, that, like yeah. I said, has not been the history. So I, that's, you know, that's the other subtext in there. And I think a lot of times if people heard what's really being said, which is I do not feel like my life matters when it comes to how I'm treated. And I would yeah. like that to be better. I think then, if any any rational person would then say, "Okay, well that makes sense." But I think when you feel threatened in a way that says that you your life may not be, or that I might be saying because mine does, yours does not, I think you need to kind of question why that's your knee-jerk reaction to that statement, yeah. you know what I mean? And so it's like if you come to me and you say, well, David, uh, I feel like, you know, I'm important. I, I think you are. And so, you know, that's fine. But I, my knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be, well, I'm, I'm, I'm important too. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, for me to say that, I'd have to ask myself some questions about, you know, why that's my knee-jerk and oftentimes very spirited or violent response, you know. So um, so I, I think in that way, um, that's where people who are saying Black Lives Matter are coming from. That's that, I don't think, being heard all the time because of some of, um, some of that feeling. And some of that feeling, I think, is beyond consciousness. I think yeah. since it's been, you know, historically so ingrained in in this country is difficult for people to be able to readily consciously put their their fingertips on it you know i think it's just it's a reaction that comes from all of that that history you know? yeah i mean i think you explained it far better than i could to anybody and i picked up on a way that you I mean, you gave me a tool just then that I might use with some of my friends, I'm particularly thinking of white friends, mm -hmm. when they do have a knee-jerk reaction, like, okay, hang on, you know, all lives matter, mm -hmm. which is before I explain the cultural, uh, the historical backdrop 
before I explain that historically for white lives to matter, black lives have had to not matter. Mm -hmm. um, and we can put a very fine point on it and say, you know, look at how much of the infrastructure and edifices that we have, including, you know, lots of the monuments in Washington, D.C. were, right, built on the mm -hmm. backs of black slaves. But even before that, because I feel like it's one of the biggest difficulties in this conversation is mm -hmm. for me to try to explain something like that, whether it's to a white friend or anyone else, be, to be explaining it as a white person doesn't feel sincere. I mean, I, you know, and I liked what you asked, which was, why might this be your knee-jerk reaction? Um, and maybe there's even a way to ask that that is somehow softer, mm. like... Um, because I know people get defensive when you point out, oh, you're having a knee-jerk reaction. But if, if I were to ask one of my white friends who wants to insist, well, all lives matter. Again, prior to my trying to paraphrase what I believe and what you explained, I might ask, well, tell me where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, say more about all lives matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people are going to come to their own conclusion, mm -hmm. as you pointed out a few minutes ago, that it does feel threatening if they're not taking into consideration at least two of the big factors you mentioned, that there is hundreds of years of historical subjugation and it's not as if with the Emancipation Proclamation everything was rainbows and unicorns. Um, it's important to say that black lives matter against that historical context. Um, it's important to say that black lives matter when there has been this implicit uh, and explicit um, sort of working model of American society that, mm -hmm. well, white lives matter the most. And not that individual groups of white people have, you know, been immune from prejudice, um, you know, right. as waves of immigrants came to the United States, whether Italian or Irish or whatever, you know, but it, it, all of that detracts from the, what I hear you saying is the main point, which is, you said, you know, it, it hasn't always been okay to speak up and say, um, hey, you know, we matter. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if white people or any people saw the value of this movement, it's the opposite of a threat. It's right. the fabric of society when uh, we can say, kind of, who's been, who's really gotten the raw end of this deal? Um, and uh, now let's, you know, let's elevate in some way the, the treatment, the status, the opportunity. Um, 
And of course, as those words cross my lips, I worry that I'm sounding patronizing. So how does that come across to you? I don't, uh, I don't hear it as patronizing uh, at all. And, and, and that's the thing that I would say to, to, um, to black people listening to someone who really wants to try. Because a lot of things that I hear nowadays, too, is when, uh, when there is a white person who's saying, hey, I want to participate in, uh, in the healing of, of the relationships between white people and black people. Um, and I'm going to start with my life and the people I know. Um, then I hear words thrown around like performative and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think you have to be open to the change you're saying you want. And if you want people's hearts and minds to change, then you do have to be open to them making the attempt. And you have to uh, understand that it's going to be rough because without thinking for you, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like losing weight, right? You, you gain weight like an ounce at a time or, or less, you know, over time eating that donut or that extra piece of pizza or whatever. And then you wake up one day and say, this is terrible. I'm dying with all this weight on me. I need to get this off. I'm going to do it by tomorrow. It's just yeah. not going to happen. You know, it's, it's about a habit change it's about incremental um, betterment of your, you know, nutrition and, and exercise and what your whole situation. So in, in that way, it's the same with regard to your relationships, with regard to seeing people a certain way or whatever. You're talking about a bombardment of, of classism, racism, you know, that kind of thing that, that even the most benevolent people on you know, all sides of it, they get affected by that. You know, there's there's a certain level of of tension and, and noise that just exists on a constant level that the minute you start consciously, actively trying to come against it, you know, you're going to fall back into old habits. It's going to be difficult. So you got to, as the person trying to do it, you got to understand that. But as the person who is witnessing it, who I am your friend and I'm black, I have to I have to allow for some of that just like I would hope that you would allow for some of that with me. I want to go back right quick to something you were saying that I think is interesting because I hear um, a lot of friends that I have conversations with who are white where they do talk about some of the um, some of the ethnic bias they may have experienced or historically their people may have experienced when they say, well, you know, the um, the Irish or the Italians or what have you. What's interesting about that to me is that you can actually say in this country the Irish or the Italians or the what have you. But for black people, it's the black people. It's yeah. not the people from Nigeria. It's not the people, like I have no idea where I come from. And the fact that that whole thing has been it's hard to talk I'm about. sorry that, yeah that's tough and and I didn't expect it to even hit me like this just now saying but just verbalizing the fact that that whole thing has been just completely erased and that I can't just go back yeah and touch that that's so you can't even really say it's the same thing entirely you know what I mean it's like 
you have wiped that whole thing out. And so it's not the same, you know, it's, it's, it's not. And so I think when you start thinking about that, just the fact that you can still say, my people are from here and they have been this, this, and this, and this is their history and et cetera. And black people can't says black lives have not mattered in this country. So when you start then saying all lives matter, you think about a difference like that. Even your subjugation has been privileged. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I mean yeah. And that's, that's incredible that, 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 that escapes, you know, everybody. I'm saying black people, white people too. You just don't even think about it. That's how deep I'm saying, you know, that is. And so that's, but the impact of that on people is very, very serious. And another example of even in modern day times, your life not mattering is when you say, okay, well, there's this police brutality and I think it's wrong. And a man says, I want to, I want to protest that so that I bring attention to it. And you completely rob the conversation of that and make the conversation about him being the enemy and less than patriotic without even dealing with what he's trying to talk about. You're saying that the lives that he's talking about don't matter. What matters is my idea of patriotism and what you should do. And for that, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to make sure you don't work. I'm going to, you know what I mean? That's, yes. So so when people say to me, well, you know, that sort of thing, the disenfranchisement, the, the subjugation of the people, all of that is over. Like, I, that is not my experience. I'm yeah. sorry. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, that's, it's very, very uh, interesting and disturbing, you know. And I think experience is what we... learn the most from and asking someone else what has been your experience right. is for all the reasons you said a far better question than the more detailed question of uh what are your thoughts about uh police reform what are your thoughts about the black lives matter mm -hmm. movement those are really important questions but they if they get brought up in a discussion, I don't know that it will be a fruitful discussion unless you've done a lot of foundational work having conversations with someone about what their lived experience has been. Uh, what have they been sheltered from? What have they been exposed to? And I was struck when I went to a conference in San Francisco mm -hmm. that was about learning and the brain, mostly attended by professional educators. And one of the presenters during a whole morning, three hour workshop spoke about trauma. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that she said really stuck with me. And that's after 25 years practicing as a clinical psychologist. So of course, mm -hmm. I fancied myself 
pretty educated on something like the psychological effects of trauma. And she said, teachers get impatient with kids who are exhibiting symptoms that are the consequence of trauma mm -hmm. because they pin it on effort. Uh, you know, this student just needs to try harder or they just mm -hmm. need to focus more. And she said, you're asking them to do something that for now is not as neurologically easy or even possible for them because of the brain changes that have occurred as a result of their traumatic experience, whatever that might be. And she said, you'd no sooner go up to somebody with a broken leg and say, run a hundred yard dash. Uh, and as they, you know, limp down the track, you say, well, you know, come on faster. Mm -hmm. You could just put one leg in front of the other. You got to pump your arms. You got, you know, this is a sprint. This, I didn't ask you to hobble down the track. I said, mm -hmm. run. And it was really poignant. And I think we, we make a lot of assumptions. I didn't speak from my own experience. I, in that workshop and in lots of other places, have become much more aware of the assumptions you said at the beginning, some of this is even unconscious. So people talk mm -hmm. about implicit bias, which will be the subject of, you know, one of our future uh, episodes, episodes in the series. But we, um, we're not even aware of what our own starting point is. So I feel that um, there's so much value in asking about somebody's lived experience and I can come at an issue like police reform from a political vantage point or I have a friend or relative who's a law enforcement officer or here's, you know, um, why I think from a social construct point of view there needs to be some law and order. Okay. That is all interesting and very intellectual, but not very emotional. And until no. I take a look at what my experience has been like with law enforcement and ask other people what their experience has been like with law enforcement, I think we're dancing around it and we're going to mm -hmm. talk past each other. Absolutely. Because you don't really know, you know, what that person is, is... Is how they actually see it, like you said before, through their experience, and their experience shapes, like you know, the, their viewpoint in any given situ situation, like so seriously. And I think it's when we start doing this type of listening, like what we're talking about in these conversations, I think you do start to really understand the person, you know, better, not just their their thoughts, but like the whole, you know, uh, whole individual. And so that's, and when you talk about trauma, um, the assumption is that um, the people like, you know, you say black people would be the only ones who have experienced trauma behind racism. And it's very difficult to wrap your mind around the fact that everybody has been traumatized. Like, people don't 
like to look at the villain in a way that says that they've also suffered some trauma through that. But you, you cannot traumatize people on that level for that long without it spilling over. That I mean, I just I I personally yeah. feel like that's impossible. A lot of times, people will feel like they'll have less sympathy because of that. But I am saying, I'm I'm trying to say it to say there's a lot for everybody to get over. And I think that when you are trying to bridge these divides and listen to each other, I think you need to start. Uh, and that, I say you mean anybody who's involving themselves in the conversation need to start with the premise that if I'm feeling like I am somehow hurt or traumatized by this, some kind of way there's some trauma on the other side too and I need to be aware of the fact that it exists and I need to be uh, to some degree open to it as well you know and and because as long as I feel like I'm the only one who needs to be listened to then that means I shut down listening do you know what I mean I'm the one who's been disenfranchised for instance so I don't have to listen to you. You listen. You make sure you listen to me, which I think is the the bigger problem with communication most of the time. Anyway, everybody wants to be heard. Nobody wants to listen. You know. <laughs> so, um, so we just gotta when we start those having those conversations. That's why I say I think um, it's important to to kind of go into it with with an understanding that it's going to be difficult for more reasons than one. It's going to be yeah. difficult because You'll touch on some things that you didn't know impacted you like it impacted you, but you'll also, you know, likely have to open your mind to the fact that this person who you can't imagine would have any sort of trauma or have anything that that they need to be listened to for might actually have something to say. Yeah. Well, so you were really moved a few minutes ago when you were saying that the origin of your family is not something that you know about in the same way that somebody could say I have Irish roots or Italian roots. And I, you know, you don't have to talk about this more if you'd rather not, but I'm, I never heard you say that, and I um, so so something new that I've learned about how painful it is to have a part of your identity having been erased or removed or historically not important enough that it was documented or kept track of or something. I'm not even saying it the right way, but um, I'm wanting to know more about what that experience is like now for you or talking to your kids about their cultural heritage or how you even um, come to terms with that. It's, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of people just experience and deal with. They don't they don't really try to come to terms with it per se a lot of a lot of black people 
Um, there are a lot of black people that do, though. Um, they attempt to or they try to go back and do the Alex Haley and find out, you know, where where they came from. But, I mean, it's extremely difficult because you want and, – and, again, this goes to, you know, all of the things we were talking about with regard to how it's it, – the many ways it's illustrated to you that black lives don't matter, for right. instance – Okay, so I went to a historically black uh, university. Went to shout out to Lincoln University in Missouri. Um, but one of my challenges at Lincoln was that when you go to Lincoln, and white people went to Lincoln uh, as well as black people, they would say historically black institution, but there were you know, a large percentage of the population of the student body was white. Mm. But they would, a lot of people graduated from there, so I don't want to act, make it sound like no white people did, but a lot of white people would go there and get most of their credits and then transfer those credits to a school like Mizzou and then get their diploma from, or, or degree rather, from Mizzou, mm. even though most of their credits came from Lincoln because Lincoln was more cost-effective. Um, but my problem was not that they attended the school. My problem was that if I go to Mizzou, I learned about how Europeans do things, which is fine because I'm in, you know, a, a society where Europeans were the majority, at least the political or economic majority, however you want to look at it. But if I go to, say, what would be considered a Chinese school or Jewish school. I learned about how Jewish people do things, how Chinese people do things, the history of those people, etc. There is none of that. Mm. Uh, or I shouldn't say none, I should say very little. If for no other reason, because there is there's a lot of what black people did in the U.S. There's a lot of, uh, you know, what you know you would know later as you know more contribution than you learn when you were in grade school which is to say like four or five black people and that's it they're the only black people who ever did anything in history but with regard to the significance of africa on this planet and things like that you don't learn any of that and that's all sort of washed away with little and I'm not and, and I'm not ragging on Lincoln so much I'm just talking about a mindset I'm saying sure, sure that there is really not many places if any that you can go to in this country where black people have an institution where they can learn about this country that they come from not the whole continent of Africa for instance so we get the continent of Africa Africa because we're just black people we're not I come from this country, I come from that country, I come, you see. Yeah. Um, and that's, that makes you like drifting a little bit. Like you don't have the cultural grounding that a lot of people have. So you're not even necessarily starting from the same place. And if you have that and take it for granted, as a lot of other ethnicities do, 
you will think, well, we're all starting from the same place. So, you know, that whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps things. But there's there's something about that 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 makes it difficult, you know, uh, and difficult for you to 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 navigate and, and, and negotiate, communicate as a people with other people without being consistently taken advantage of, you know, um, and taken for granted, uh, your economic power exploited, um, that kind of thing. And, and, and so some of that answer would be for black people to realize that and to do something, uh, you know, different with it. And that's not to say, you know, shut down the American economic system and just, just only do you know black stuff exclusively and that's i'm not saying that entirely either i am saying there should be some more strength in that but i don't know how you would teach them that you have millions of black people who have no idea where specifically they came from you, even if you did like a 23 and me kind of thing and they said well you came from this area there's still not a thing where you where you know I come like I have some friends who are who are Irish and they can tell you exactly where they still got people in Ireland, you know, that they go visit and they can come. I don't know any black people that really have that. I'm not saying none exist. I know that there are some. I don't know them. You that's yeah. you know. And I certainly don't have that uh in my life, you know, and so I'm just saying I think that that's there's a significant impact of that on a people. Yeah. And I think that it's not enough to say then, hey, well, you know, I never owned slaves myself so blah 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 oh i've never been a slave myself but the impact of that i'm still feeling and uh, public enemy the, the the rap group used to have a line in the song where they where they, they still have the line is still in the song but where they have a line in the song where we're they dating say, ourselves by the way right right exactly <laughs> but, where, but where they would say where they say it wasn't you uh but you pledged uh allegiance to the red white and blue suckers and stole the soul basically saying that that you still like sort of and I don't know what to tell you to do about it but you still sort of benefit from this situation where I'm not where where that base for me is gone I, I don't know I mean that's that's a difficult thing I don't know what the answer is I don't yeah. I don't I don't want to hold um, like you Chris Thurber as a white person accountable to say well, you somehow need to you know fix this for me I there's nothing that, that I know that you could do except to actually start trying to understand me as a man and as a person mm -hmm. as opposed to looking at me automatically as the problem and I think a lot of times what comes with a lot of the things that I'm talking about is a sort of subconscious thing where where the difference of me being black is looked at as deficient mm. off rip you know 
uh, I'm a filmmaker too and and screenwriter and I won a contest a while ago at a film festival I went to and it was one of the best run festivals I've been to and I've been to some that were run very well and some that were just kind of you know garbage but this was one with regard to how organized it was to the star power of the people who were there uh, the connections that could be made uh, where you actually could touch people, shake hands, and, and maybe really make deals. The stuff you hear about for like Sundance and Con and stuff like that. This one that I went to, I'm going to name in a minute, but it was it was one of the best ones with regard to that that I had ever been to. Mm. And so I was very proud to have won the award at this festival. It was the American Black Film Festival. But I would tell people, I won the screenplay competition at the American Black, and the minute I say black, I could see the prestige of the award I won go oh. down in their eyes. Yeah. Like somehow it's a festival that's held at the supermarket now because it's, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But it wasn't that. It was a major, major, and yeah. it still is. I'm saying that festival still exists now, and it's a major deal. But I'm just saying that to say this immediately and, and sadly, it's been programmed even a lot of times in the minds of black people, too. It's not just white people, but just in general. When you say black, it, it comes down a few notches. That's the, that's the marketing of that racism, mm. you know. But some of that is based on the fact that, that you didn't think these people were significant enough or human at all where, they would, where their history, which was very important to them, should remain. Yes. Shipped it. You mixed them. You did. You know, it was, it was just black people, just right. black, and that's and and so that's what I mean when I say so. From way back then on through now, how can you then tell me all lives matter and think I'm supposed to say, well, yeah, well in that case, let me shut up. I'm not shutting up because I'm saying your all lives matter means mine doesn't. Your all lives matter means I don't have a base. Your all lives matter means I shouldn't protest when I'm unarmed members of my community are being killed. Your, you know what I mean? When you say that, it doesn't mean the same thing to me yes. that it should mean. when you like. I understand the words, but again, like you were saying, asking about my experience, you asked me if I understand academically the words. I do. I understand all lives matter. When you ask me my experience, it is not that. When the police pull up behind you, it's an inconvenience. When they pull up behind me, there is an actual, literal, real, whether I have warrants or not, fear for my life. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm saying my daughter was coming home from work one day, and she called us to say she was on her way home. The police had stopped her because she accidentally was driving uh, without her lights on. When she's got me on the phone, my wife and I are getting, I mean, we're getting dressed, getting ready to go up there because, uh, and we're scared for her. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. And that, to, if you're saying that to somebody who's never experienced that, it sounds irrational, but it, it, it tell that to George Floyd's family. It's yeah. not irrational. It's, it's a very real 
thing. Now, the guy was very nice. He let her know her lights were off, and she had actually, uh, she worked at a server, and she had actually had him as a customer, and he recognized her, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, hey, I was just eating dinner with my wife the other night. You were my server, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so it was, it was cool, but I'm saying it's not always that. And the fact that 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 was cool is fine, but it's still that, that fear is ingrained from years. I'm not. I'm not saying that as a reformed criminal. I'm saying that as a, as a law-abiding. You know yeah. what I mean, man. All my life, and now you know. But that that the possibility of that is present all the time. And so I'm just saying, it's not my experience. So yeah, and I, it's it, it, it's not something that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. or I can only imagine it. I can't feel it because it hasn't been my experience, as you right. said. And uh, so I'm, I'm really grateful that you shared all of what you shared, especially given how personal it is and how painful it is. And I, I want to, you know, be respectful of everyone's time. And I see that we're, we're nearing the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. And I want to save time to give people a bit of a preview of other conversations that we're going sure. to have. But, you know, I will tell our viewers and listeners that in preparation for this series, David and I decided that we wanted to make it unscripted. We wanted to make it personal. We wanted to embody the best we could the notion of leaning into difficult conversations and mm-hmm. show that it's raggedy but you can persevere and david as you said it is a good analogy like losing weight uh requires persistent effort Mm -hmm. over a sustained period of time and even though there may not be um you know as you said okay chris i'm not going to hold you personally responsible for this so i don't have a precise answer to what Mm -hmm. is it that you can do in the next minute that's going to help. But David, you did mention some things that I think, again, I'll speak for myself, that that mm-hmm. I can do and perhaps other people who are listening uh, and watching can also do, which is begin by understanding the vast differences in people's lived experience. Begin by learning about parts of the history of the world that mm-hmm. you don't know about and you know not to not for people to misunderstand neither of us is asking for people to become you know european history scholars or african right. history scholars but there are parts of history that especially as it has been routinely taught in this country give at best, as you described, a kind of tokenistic nod to, well, and then there was Martin Luther King. And so, okay, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, the one, I'm embarrassed to say, the one black person that in high school, going to public high school in New England, you know, in the mid 80s that I learned about. Mm -hmm. That's, that's remarkable. And an awareness of how that um, contributes to what you said at the end um, of your of your most recent comment. That is, how does it contribute to my 
you know, implicit bias or maybe it's an explicit bias about mm -hmm. the relative importance yeah. of, of you and me, of mm -hmm. can compared to, you know, the Black Film Festival, mm -hmm. uh, of Sundance to uh, the Black Film Festival or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's, it's a perfect example of why it's not enough for someone like me who's white to say, well, like, I don't, I'm not racist. I don't use the N word. I don't have slaves. I, mm -hmm. I don't see what the problem is. You know, like, mm -hmm. so that's a really good place to, to start in this first episode is a broad view of, um, and if we were going to give people uh, a couple of doable action items, I think one of them could be think about your own education and your own experience and what it included and what it didn't include. And by yeah. not including certain things, how did that leave you feeling about yeah. the relative importance of those things? Right. I remember taking... Um, as an undergraduate, an art history class. Mm -hmm. And recently my, and, and we used uh, Jansen, which at the time was the art history book. Uh, and my son asked me a couple of months ago about a piece of pop art. And I don't even remember, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but you know, I knew that uh, there was a picture of it in, in Jansen. Uh, and we opened up the book and found the picture and got the date. And then we were thumbing through it because he was fascinated because I had all these notes in the margins. Mm -hmm. But then he became fascinated by what was covered and went all the way back to the beginning of the book, which has a chronological arc. And like a lot of art history books, there was a picture of this little statuette called the Venus of Willendorf, which is kind of this... Um, uh, you know, it's a little stone statuette often cited as, you know, like maybe the oldest statue that's been found. I mean, it, it's relatively small and it's kind of this fertility goddess or we don't even mm -hmm. know exactly. And clearly I'm not an art historian, but Dacha sort of went back and forth and said, so where's the, where's the African art? Where's mm -hmm. the, where's the Australian art? Mm -hmm. I was fortunate to spend three months in Australia and we, um, we had some wonderful Aboriginal guides when we were in Northern Territory. We learned a lot about, uh, in, a, in a relatively short period of time, Aboriginal culture and art. And there's not a single piece of Aboriginal art in this, which is not, and it's not called art, like European art history. Right, it's, right art history, right. the world, and so many parts of the world are left out. So a huge challenge to our listeners would be to ask themselves, you know, spend some time thinking about what has mm -hmm. been left out for you and what then has that contributed to the way you see the world? Right. Um, can you talk a little bit in the few minutes that we have left about some of the other topics that you and I uh, I was going to say are excited to cover. I mean, we are excited, but, um, you know, as I think I said in the intro, nervous as well. 
What else are we going to tackle here? Because we're not shying away. No, um, I mean, some of the other things, I, I think uh, um, we're going to have a great discussion where we're going to drill down into some of the things that we even touched on in uh, this episode. Uh, some of the things about uh, bridging the gap between uh, inner city communities and uh, the police. We talk, uh, we're going to talk about defunding the police versus uh, not. Uh, mm -hmm. We have uh, some law enforcement uh, officers who are uh, agreeing to come on and, and talk with us kind of about uh, that. And uh, we want to talk about um, the protests and, you know, your constitutional right to do that. And uh, we want to talk about um, perspectives as far as like understanding, uh, you know, humor mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times. Uh, comedy is a way that we get to deal with some of these things and uh, you know what's too far in this day and age we're going to talk uh, speaking about too far we're going to talk a little bit about censorship and political correctness uh, and you know how much it helps or hurts um, so I think you know a lot of great things coming up we got young people's uh, perspective um, and so, like people my son's age are dealing with a lot of things related to race on campus. And so we're going to be talking with them about their perspective regarding what's being done to uh, sort of uh, have a more inclusive environment on campus and, and how, what like we were talking about, what their experience is uh, with the impact of some of those changes. Uh, are they coming fast enough? Are they missing the mark or are they actually addressing some of those issues so uh, you know we're going to be uh, talking about that but also in all of these we're going to be talking about how to have these conversations and you know what's a a good way to open up you know with people and to to learn from one another and hopefully um, you know enrich some lives and, and create some some great dialogue and find some common ground it's going to be awesome. It's going yeah, to be great. And in case people missed it at the beginning, your wise counsel about having difficult conversations, especially with somebody whose background, ethnicity, race, maybe gender identity, sexuality, whatever it might be, is different from yours. If you're going to have one of those conversations, let them know that that's the premise. Uh, that right. you want to broach the conversation, that you want to improve in some way mm -hmm. or learn, or, uh, but not just to spring it on them. And right, right, right. Um, That's dangerous, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think you do. I think you set some ground rules. I think you say, uh, for instance, um, hey, Chris, I like to have this conversation, this type of conversation with you just because I'm really trying to uh, learn and understand a lot of things that have gone on recently have opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, my viewpoint on a lot of things may not be as broad as I'd like it to be. And I think you can help me with that. Uh, I, I want to make sure this conversation is candid. Uh, but I do want you to understand I'm not going to be, you can say whatever you want. I'm not going to be judgmental about what you're saying because I really want to understand what you're saying and how deep uh, the impact of, of what you have to say uh, is, you know, on you and, and 
because I think that increases the understanding yes. and makes it yeah. less academic. But also, I'm hoping that you'll do the same for me, where you will listen to what I'm saying without judgment, and maybe, uh, you know, we can come to have a great understanding between each other and enrich our friendship, uh, you know, in, in doing so. So I think if you have that conversation and everybody agrees to that, and you might even uh, approach the the thing where you were saying earlier that you felt kind of patronizing if you would say certain things um, that you felt like that's how it sounded you I think I would hit that head on and say listen I do not mean to sound like that I do understand that it can but I'm not trying to do that I'm mm -hmm. really trying to understand so you know please help me and then you know have that conversation and I think the other part of that is to not just do it in a way that's like, okay, I checked that off my list. I talked to my white friend. Whew, okay, I'm right. good. So <laughs> now I'm, I'm okay now. I don't have to do that yeah. whenever you get to talk to somebody. Difficult conversation. Done. Right, exactly. When you get to talk to somebody, you say, no, 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 listen, I got my certification. I, I've talked to my friend of another right, race. Right. I'm, it should be an ongoing thing. It should be uh, a change of lifestyle for you as far as like uh, your desire to increase that cultural IQ and your emotional IQ too as well. So Yeah. Well, I've taken a lot away from this first episode, and I am really looking forward to subsequent episodes. So thank you for your candor today. Yeah, and thank you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our further conversations. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to I'm Black, You're White, Now What? You can find more episodes on the podcast channel Teaching What It Takes available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. To learn more about the work I do, visit www.preparingthepath.com. And to learn more about the work I do, visit drchristhurber.com.